This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Charter schools are now educating about 7% of all public school students. Charter enrollments have increased steadily since the beginning of the 21st century. And in some cities, enrollments are running over 10%, even higher in a few. One of the most hotly debated questions is whether the growth of charters is having a positive or a negative impact on students who are attending the other public schools, the ones operated by the school district. The U.S. Department of Education has just announced that it plans to ban federal dollars for new charter schools unless the local school district certifies that they're needed. The regulations appear to be based on the idea that new charters will harm district-operated schools, but what's the evidence in this regard? What is happening to students in school districts when charter schools are established? Does learning improve or doesn't it? In a recently released report, Feng Chen and Douglas Harris of Tulane University have investigated this question by looking at changes in student performance in school districts across the United States, taking special note of where you have charters and where you don't have them. So I'm very pleased to have Professor Harris, a professor of economics and chair of the economics department at Tulane University with me today on the Education Exchange. Thank you, Doug, for joining me. Paul, thanks for having me. Well, Doug, can you first tell me the key finding from your study? Do charter schools have a positive or a negative impact on the performance of students district-wide? Well, uh, it looks like it's positive on, on test scores and high school graduation rates, which is what we looked at. And the test score findings are, are similar to what uh, other findings, other studies have found. But the high school results were a little bit uh, were different and a little more novel because there are actually not that many studies that have looked at the effects of charters on, on longer range outcomes. So uh, seeing the positive effects on high school graduation rates, especially given the, the ongoing conversation about test scores and, and what, what they mean and how much we should we should pay attention to them is, is happening here. So seeing, seeing effects on multiple outcomes certainly gives us more assurance. Well, multiple outcomes is a good idea because on the one hand, people are critical of test scores saying, well, test scores are just test scores. They don't tell you really anything. And uh, other people say, well, graduation rates are just graduation rates. Schools can graduate anybody they want, regardless of whether they're learning anything. So, so probably combining the two together makes some sense. Yeah, I, th I think so. And we're, we're lucky to be able to put the data together to, to look at both of them. Well, so first of all, let's talk about the data a little bit. What, what kind of data are you using uh, to, to reach these conclusions? Where do you get your information? Well, it's national level. So we're, we're using uh, district level data for the whole country. Uh, and so uh, you know, we're taking the test score data from CETA, the uh, measures that John uh, Reardon and, and others have worked on there at Stanford. Uh, we're combining that with the Common Core of Data and other, other information that we have uh, through the REACH Center uh, about charter schools, where charter schools have opened uh, and, and so on over time. So it's, it's combining lots of different data, some, some really most of which is publicly available, but really hasn't been used in this way before with, with some more proprietary data that gives us better information about where charter schools have opened. The CETA data, let me just ask you about that a little bit, because some people say the CETA data is not necessarily the best test score data in the world. Uh, every state has its own tests and they've tried to put them all on a national scale, but they have to make a lot of assumptions uh, when they do so. And, they, they're, and they're using data from 
students over several grades and um, you know, when they standardize it, they're using information from just fourth and eighth grade. So there's a lot of assumptions going in there. So are you really comfortable using that CETA data? Well, I think that, you know, first of all, they're very upfront about what the strengths and weaknesses are. And I think they've done the, the best job you can, given the data that exists, uh, trying to make those kinds of comparisons. I think uh, there's almost certainly measurement error in there. And I think the question in our case is you know, whether you know, any inaccuracies in those data are likely to carry over when we look at the comparison of you know, uh, a school district before and after charter schools open, which is the way we're approaching the analysis, you know, and compared to other districts often in the same state. When you start to think about how we're doing the analysis, the, the errors that might be there uh, in the in the CETA data uh, aren't likely to have much of an effect on our results because you know, because any any of those errors are likely to cancel out given the, the kinds of analysis that we're doing. It's possible that that uh, those er the errors carry over, but uh, it doesn't seem very likely. No, that seems like a fair enough argument that uh, there, there might be a general error out there, but you're really looking at differences between one district and another. Right. And that, yeah. that would have to be correlated with the differences in order right. for, for this yeah. to be a significant problem for you. Well, how about the high school graduation data? Where are you getting this information? Uh, that, that's from the, uh, from the Common Core. Well, that, it's from the federal uh, data. So, so uh, you know, the the ACGR at the average cohort uh, graduation rate um, uh, and, uh, and and other information on graduation rates that are that are required uh, to be reported these days. So, um, and, and that's based on a more standardized metric measures that are standardized across states, unlike the test scores. So, so that uh, gives us good confidence. Well, but, the, but the districts are supplying this information to the U.S. government. The U.S. government asks each school district, send us your graduation rate. And, um, you know, those graduation rates have been climbing pretty rapidly recently. And a lot of people think that could be due to the introduction of online learning for kids that uh, are failing and they take retake a thing and and they, and they get passed almost automatically. I have, a, uh, I have some contacts inside a big city school district and, and that I'm hearing that directly. So, so you know, we actually have a whole other study on that uh, that, that shows that uh, the high school graduation rates, at least the, the general rise is, is real and it's not, not a result of measurement error or, or, uh, or other problems or distortions like the credit recovery programs, which is part of what you're getting at, I think there. So we did a pretty extensive analysis suggesting that, that uh, those increases really do reflect uh, increases in graduation and don't mainly reflect, they may reflect some diminishment of standards, especially in the case of, of credit recovery programs. But uh, in other respects, actually standards have risen, like the GED you know, used to be counted uh, as, as part of graduation and it's not anymore. So, and GED is usually considered to be a, a lower bar. So uh, we, we don't have any reason to think that, uh, that that's what's going on here. So Doug, uh, let, how many districts did you study? And, and, but more important, what's the time frame for this study? When, when, when are these charter schools opening in your, that are included in your analysis? Yeah, well, we use data from 1995 to 2016, uh, and it varies a little bit depending on which outcome we're looking at, but that's the rough time frame. That allows us to get uh, information from before uh, charter schools open, which is important to the analysis, and we'll get more into the methods uh, here in a minute. So we get, we get 
you know, enough information from before, but then we're able to track them for about 20 years uh, after that. I guess 2005 is the year that you really get a significant number of charter schools uh, arriving on the scene. Before that, they're, they're sort of scattered and right. maybe doing this kind of an analysis doesn't make a lot of sense until, until you start looking in 2005. Now, so what's your analysis? How do you, how do you actually put all this together to make, make the claim that the presence of charters has a positive effect? Yeah, well, let me let me uh, take one step back and talk about what's a little bit different here about the study. So one is that we're looking at graduation rates. Another is that we're looking at what we'd call the system level effects. So that's a, that's an important distinction for two reasons. One is that we're capturing what we think are all of the mechanisms that could be at work. You know, for example, what some would call the competitive effect uh, on traditional public schools when charter schools enter, the participant effects, meaning the, the effects on the students who attend charter schools, whether those are, are, are better outcomes than the nearby traditional public schools. Um, there's a third mechanism that we identify in the study that really hadn't hadn't been talked about much before, and that's what we call the takeover effect. And the idea that if a charter school enters and a, and a low performing traditional public school closes, then, and, and the charter school ends up being better, then that's going to improve this, what we call the system level outcomes. And so by looking at the results across the whole system and, and averaging the traditional public school results with the charter school results, and we're capturing then the effects on the whole system of schools, on all students in the district, not just the effects on students attending charter schools. So and I think that's that's important. And it also signals something about how we went about the analysis. So when we created the, the outcome measure here, we're talking about you know all of the students attending you know, either charter or traditional public schools in the district. So for the whole system, and then looking at what happens when charter schools enter, right? So do we see before and after charter schools enter, do we see those overall outcomes uh, in the district improve? And, and well, that's good. I, I really like that idea of sort of bringing them all together. And, and uh, uh, as you point out, uh, showing that uh, this will take into account shifts that are occurring between uh, district to charter or back. Right. But, but there's one thing that it is a little bit uh, a, a concern, and that is, what if there's a people coming back into the district from outside the district to go to charter schools? Or maybe there's the opposite effect that some people are just leaving for, for some reason or another. So yeah. how about this, this migration across district lines? How, how are you able to deal with that? So one thing we do is to test for effects on the demographics of the district, right? So if, if what you're saying is happening, then we, what we should see is a change in demographics. For example, a change in the, the percentage of students eligible for free-reduced lunches or a change in the percent uh, who are people of color. And we don't see much evidence of that. There, there may be some small changes, but then we did some analysis to show how large could those effects on the, dem on the demographics be on the, the outcomes. And they're much smaller uh, than the effects that we, we see. So it doesn't seem like uh, that's what's happening either. Well, you know, that was an issue that came up in Washington, D.C., where everybody said that, okay, the district schools, the District of Columbia schools were getting better, and uh, that was because uh, you had so many yeah. charter schools in there, and then other people said, well, look at all the white people are moving back into the District of Columbia, and middle-class black people are moving in back in from Arlington, and so forth, right. so 
really it's a migration story, not that the schools were getting better. Yeah, no, we were we were definitely you know, concerned about that at the beginning. It's similar to the New Orleans analyses we've, we've been working on uh, for, for a number of years. That, that was the, the, the main the main thing you'd really be worried about is that kind of change. And we just don't see any evidence of that in this case. On well, the whole so, national... so I interrupted you because you were about to say exactly how you look at it. So how do you look at this? Yeah, so we're looking at, at, at a method called difference in differences. So we're looking at before and after in the districts that, that do have charter schools, so before and after the charter schools open, and then relative to a matched comparison group. So we're looking at other districts uh, that are otherwise similar, similar test score levels, similar demographics, uh, and looking at them before and after, and then looking at, at the, the difference between those differences. And this is a, a pretty common method these days uh, now in, in policy analysis. Uh, that's the first method that we use. So there's actually a second one we do is kind of so a- So the first method is you try to get a comparison group that's matched on certain characteristics of a district. Right. What percentage? Do you match them on size then too, or you match them mainly on uh, uh, student characteristics? Uh, I think we, sometimes we did it based on on size, but but it was uh, mostly based on the, the demographics and the outcomes themselves, right? So part of the idea here is you want districts that are on a what we call a parallel trend or a common trajectory uh, before charter schools open, so that it, uh, it's a it's a reasonable comparison. Okay, so um, so that's your first method, and your second method. Yeah, the second method is basically taking the districts that eventually have charter schools and just tracking them over time, you know, as charter schools enter, what happens to outcomes. So it's, it's um, it, in, in some sense, it, ha it has the advantage of, we're, we're looking at fine grain changes in charter schools, as opposed to, all right, charter schools open, what happens before and after. And now it's taking the fine grain changes. Okay, we went to 5% charter, now we're at 10% charter, now we're 15% charter. What happens to outcomes as those incremental changes occur? Uh, within a given district. The interesting thing is we get pretty much the same result either way, uh, which, which gives us more confidence too in the results that we, you know, when we do the difference and difference method, we match on diff different ways and we get the same results. When we use this entirely different method, uh, we also get uh, the same basic story. So are these big effects or little effects? What, what's, the, what's the size of the effect? How would you characterize it? Yeah, they're not, they're not huge. I mean, they're, uh, they're, you know, in the graduation rates, we're looking at a few percentage points uh, on high school graduation rates. And so I think you know, most people would consider those to be you know, positive, but, but, uh, but modest. Uh, with, uh, with test scores, we're looking at you know, three to six percentile points, you know, like moving from the 50th to the 53rd uh, or the 50th to the 56th. Now that's, remember that's for the average for the whole district. So it's not for you know, just an individual student. You're moving the, the entire district up a few percentile points. Um, so again, you know, by both standards, I think people will consider them to be small, but, but they are positive. Well, I would be upset if you got huge effects because, uh, you know, there's only 7% of the population in a charter school. And, uh, you know, some of your districts have many more than that. But still, right. this is overall a fairly modest innovation in American yeah. education. If you somehow got massive effects, I, I would think you would have been hired by some... Uh, 
some yeah, organization I, to get that. So yeah, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have believed really uh, large effects. But these are kind of in line with what the the rest of the the literature, at least on test scores, because we don't have much to, to go on with high school graduation. But uh, with test scores, this is in line with what we see of the competitive effects studies and the participant effects studies, and and the, the, the very small number of the, the takeover effect uh, studies kind of point in that direction. So do you get variation by uh, the background of the student? Are there bigger effects on black students and white students? Do you have any information on that? Yeah, we do. We, we actually don't see uh, big changes or big differences. Uh, this is one, one way in which this, the results are a little bit different from other studies that uh, they, they do seem to be beneficial for all subgroups. Um, but not disproportionately for black students, which is something that prior studies um, have found. So those results uh, were, were pretty similar to the other groups. Uh, by income, similar story that, that uh, we didn't see much difference uh, across income groups. So um, what do you think is driving it? Uh, what are they? Because uh, you have some ways of, of uh, looking at that question. That's a, always a very hard question to answer, but what, what light can you shed on the mechanisms here? Well, it looks like, and again, we're not, in this case, not just relying on, on our own work, but looking at what other studies have found, that it seems like all the mechanisms uh, are operating, the ones I mentioned before. So it looks like the charter schools that enter are a little bit better than the traditional public schools nearby where they're likely to be drawing students. So that's going to improve uh, outcomes. That's consistent with the credo results. Uh, the competitive effects uh, seems to be part of it. You know, descriptively in our analysis, we see some evidence of that, that as the charter market share increases, we start to see this gradual increase in, in student outcomes, but very slight. Um, and that's consistent uh, with, with other studies. And then the, the takeover effect, here we have some newer uh, results. We actually look at what happens to traditional public schools and private schools in terms of takeover and closure when charter schools enter. Uh, and we do see some evidence that charter schools lead to the closure and takeover of low-performing traditional public schools, which we would expect, you know, because they're low-performing, that that's going to improve average outcomes. Well, you're using the word takeover, Doug. Uh, what do you mean by takeover? Well, it's, yeah, there, there's different terminology for this, but in our case, what we mean is the, the schools are... Um, are either reconstituted, that's an example of, of closure, uh, taken over by the state uh, would be another example of a takeover. Uh, so in some cases, these are you know, the restarts. Um, so there are different, there are different uh, kinds of, of interventions, but all pretty significant interventions. So the dis key distinction is a closure is, is the building doesn't function as a school anymore. The, the, think of the boarded up building. With the takeover, the school is still operating. It's just under new management uh, or under um, under a different uh, governing body. So, you know, a shift from a, from being a traditional public school to a charter school uh, would also be a takeover, and that's that, that's something we actually want to take out here because that's that's the we're starting charter schools, so so we don't necessarily uh, want to include that. How about regionally? Do you see differences in different parts of the country? Um, in some work that I've been doing, I saw the biggest impacts in the Northeast and uh, not so much in the West uh, in terms of uh, charter school improvement and, and uh, relative to district schools. Uh, so do you see anything like that? 
Yes, but not not uh, quite the way you said it. So you know, we have studied, as others have, the difference between you know urban, you know metropolitan area charter schools versus rural areas, uh, and we do see the the finding that others have, have seen there that the, the effects seem to be larger in in urban areas and metropolitan areas, uh, and I think that that. It kind of lines up with what you said in, in the sense that you know the charter schools in the northeast tend to be urban charter schools whereas the ones in the west are less likely to be urban so i think those two uh, those two sets of results line up with each other so given your findings which are not you know inconsistent with the way the literature has been moving it's it's adding to it it's it's extending our knowledge base but it's not totally upsetting uh, what we have been uh, noticing in the last few years how do you account for the u.s department of education coming out with these guidelines which says we want less of this in the future well, make two points on that. The first is, I think you know, what is helpful here in this study is that a lot of the most positive results had been in particular places. You know, Boston charter schools have gotten a lot of attention. New Orleans charter schools have gotten a lot of attention. Uh, but nationally, I think it was, it was a little less clear uh, what was happening, uh, especially in, in rural uh, areas, when you look at it that way. So um, even though it's in line, I think that that distinction and, and seeing how it builds on the prior research is important. To the question of the federal uh, guidelines, you know, I don't know. You know, we can talk a lot about the, the politics behind uh, the issue. I think you know, one thing that's interesting here in a research-focused conversation is what those guidelines might do to, uh, to the success of charters uh, in the future. And I think you know, if the idea is to not have charters uh, located in areas where there's declining enrollment, uh, you know, it's not it's not obvious here that that's going to be a helpful thing, right? Because some of the areas with declining enrollment are urban areas. So, uh, um, if that's where charters work, and if the idea is not not to let them locate in, in those areas, then you know that's going to that's going to make it's going to be bad for everyone. The way these results play out, because the, the charter schools are going to enter in the wrong places in the sense of where they're likely to do the most good uh, for student outcomes. So. No. Uh, well, to say nothing about the fact that enrollment is declining nationwide simply because we have a smaller age cohort uh, that is coming into our educational system than we've had in the past. You know, we don't have as many babies as we used to yeah. have. Uh, yeah. that, well, that, that means we're yeah. going to have declining enrollment almost yeah. everywhere except maybe uh, Texas and Florida. Right. Yeah, so yeah, not not clear, um, you know, what that will mean for for the effectiveness, but certainly does uh, does lead to some real questions about whether this is going to going to make things you know, you know work not as well as they have to this point. Well, um, what have I missed? Well, the you know one topic we haven't talked about is the market share question. So you know one of the things we're interested in this is is there some sort of a uh, either a tipping point where things start to, things start to look either really good or, or really bad uh, with charters. It could be that you know the, the story of like Detroit. People talk about Detroit as a case where you know, charters came in so far and so fast that it actually made it hard for the district to function. I think that's true in some sense. Uh, it is hard. It's hard as a district leader to manage a district that, is, that has fast declining budget, fast declining uh, uh, enrollment. Um, so, yeah, we were interested in whether we could see any evidence of that, but there's a flip side too. It could be that, 
that once you get to a certain charter share that you get uh, you know more kind of more of an established sector and then maybe it actually gets better once you get to a certain point maybe it's maybe it doesn't work as well as a set of schools uh, when the the charter market share is low so so we looked at it you know, to see whether this the districts that eventually made it up to a high charter market share uh, did did better or worse and whether there were any patterns there and basically what we see is kind of gradual improvement you know up to about 15 percent market share and then it plateaus so it doesn't decline after that there's still positive effects from 15 percent onward but it doesn't get better in a nice kind of clean linear pattern so it looks like you know charter schools okay, well, one one story you could tell is well charter schools um, kind of give a nudge uh, to traditional public schools and it you know revitalizes the, the system perhaps a little bit as long as the charter share is a, at a modest level but then um, you know, after after uh, a certain point, you know, the the additional charter schools don't help as much. Uh, Do you have enough data to really be conclusive on this point? I, you know, the my question is sort of motivated by when I look at the data, I, I don't see too many that are above that fifteen percent threshold. There's a few, you know, there's some districts out there, but they aren't. Hundreds yeah. and thousands of them. Right? No, no, yeah, there are only I think it was about six hundred districts that got above ten percent. There's there are more above fifteen percent than you think uh, because uh, excuse me, no, it's six hundred or so that had any charters. I think it is, and it's a, then it gets up to be gradually smaller as you get to the higher market shares. There are more above fifteen percent than you might think, though, because in some areas you've got where you've got charters in rural areas, the districts are really small. And if you just bring one charter school into those areas, that that takes the market share up uh, pretty high. So, so there. Yeah, but then you've got the confounding question of maybe charters are more of a you know, have better effect in urban areas than in rural. Areas. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's. I'm not sure I'd say it's confounding it, but it is different. You know, differences in the way charter schools uh, function in in different areas. And so, yeah. So. So there's that. And we also, I should say, partly because we were wondering whether that was the case, we also ran it just on urban districts and still got the same result. So it wasn't just uh, it wasn't just uh, the combining of rural and, and urban and, and rural being perhaps the less effective um, areas for charter schools. So uh, yeah, that, that result also, it also held up when we did it, that, that other method. Remember, I said we had difference in differences and we did this other approach where we're, we're comparing within districts as the charter market share improved. So we, we saw that too in both results. It seems to be a pretty robust finding, but I don't think we have a great explanation for why that is yet. It's just speculation. And I think this is where the, you know, the research process goes from, you know, we've, we've, we've we have more findings and new, and new findings, but then it also raises new questions for future research. Right. Well, one could say, well, let's wait and see. And if we get more and more charter schools, but then maybe with the federal policy making this difficult, this, we won't be able to see the effects of increasing uh, market share. Uh, but I must say, this is a very important study and it's fascinating to have you explain the details to us. So thank you very much, Doug, for joining me on the Education Exchange. It was great talking to you. So thank you, Doug, for joining me. I am Paul Peterson. Uh, I've been discussing with Douglas Harris, the professor of economics at Tulane University and an author of a recent study of charter school impacts on student learning. Please join me for a new Education Exchange podcast released on the Education Next website every Monday at noon Eastern time.